I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This episode is brought to you by Boombox Gifts, memory boxes filled with personal messages and photos from friends and family for your next special occasion. Check it out at boomboxgifts.com. I am so excited to be interviewing Neil Pastricha, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the Book of Awesome series, which has spent five years on bestseller list and has sold over a million copies. He has also written the number one international bestseller, The Happiness Equation, Want Nothing Plus Do Anything Equals Have Everything. And he's written a children's book called Awesome is Everywhere. One of the most popular TED speakers of all time, Neil is a frequent keynote speaker and the director of the Institute for Global Happiness. With degrees from Queens College and Harvard Business School, Neil currently lives with his wife and sons in Toronto. Welcome, Neil. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me, Zibby. This is seriously such a treat. As I was going through all the materials, I was like, I don't even know how to come up with the questions. There's so many things I wanted to talk to you about. So let's just start first with your book, The Happiness Equation, Want Nothing and Do Nothing Equals Have Everything, which is your science-based, obviously. You know, this approach to happiness using positive psychology studies. I was actually a psych major, so this is particularly interesting to me. So you basically answered the question, what's the secret of happiness? And you have nine major secrets and in that many other secrets. So that's enough of me talking. You tell me what the secret to happiness is. Well, the, the whole story is because you're a mom of four, right? I am a mom of four. You're a mom of four. So I was a dad of zero when my wife Leslie and I were coming home from our honeymoon. And literally on the plane, she's like, I don't feel well. I'm not, feel, I'm not feeling good. So we, we do a layover, a scheduled layover, for six hours in, in Malaysia. She finds a pharmacy. She finds a place to lie down. We get back on the plane. It's a 12-hour flight home. On the airplane, she goes to the little tiny bathroom. She comes back to our seats and she says, I'm pregnant. See, she bought the pregnancy test in the airport pharmacy, did the pregnancy test in the airplane bathroom, and told me she was pregnant at like 50,000 feet above sea level. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because when I landed home in Toronto as a father of zero, we just got married, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a dad in nine months. So I then spent the next nine months writing a 300-page letter to my unborn child on how to live a happy life. And so the happiness equation, that book you just showed me with your hand, is that letter, which is wow. why, I don't know if you ever, if you noticed, you probably didn't because most people don't, that on the like Copyright Library of Congress page in like two-point font, I even have a little note hidden in there that says, to my baby, I wanted you to have this in case I didn't have a chance to tell you. Love that. Oh, that's so sweet. So then you said like, well, what's the, so that's like, I, did, I should tell you that. I did not even write a post-it to any of my four kids before they were born. <laughs> now I feel terrible. <laughs> No, 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 no. I also like submitted it to a publisher and like they printed it as a book and I am a writer. So I'm like, yeah, like, like that is why I wrote it. And then of course I'm like, yes. And I'm like, I'm going to like, and I'm going to publish it. So here I am actually, maybe I'm exploiting my children and you're actually just like, you know, not exploiting your kids the way I was. And so what's the secret of happiness? Okay. Honestly, my parents are, are and like your parents, like everyone's parents were liars. They're liars. Everyone's parents in the whole world are liars. Cause you know what they say when we were kids, they say, if you do great work, then you'll have a big success and then you'll be happy. Common parental wisdom. If you study really hard, then you'll get good grades. And if you're East Indian like I am, you'll become a doctor, right? Or similarly, if anyone's in a career right now, it's like work really hard, then you get a promotion, then you'll be happy. And when I tell people this, they're like, yeah, 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 my parents said that to me. But I'm like, and don't you say that to your kids? And they're like, no, no, no way. I'm like, you don't say try to get into a good school. We want you to get a good job. We want you to say, of course you do. Every parent says that to their kids. But after reviewing over 300 positive psychology studies to write the book, I can now tell you 
without a shadow of a doubt that that model is fundamentally reversed. Okay, so actually we shouldn't tell our kids great work leads to big success, leads to being happy. We should say being happy leads to doing great work, which leads to the big success. All the research supports this. What happens when you're happy and you walk into a workplace or you walk into a classroom? You're more productive. You're more creative. You have higher sales. You Literally everything goes up. And what happens if you're operating like that? Well, guess what? You're more likely to get promoted. You live a lot longer. Like every, again, all the success stuff goes up. So the fundamental thesis of the happiness equation, the book, is a reversal of that, unfortunately, totally incorrect parental wisdom. Excellent. Well, it's good to see that it's turned on its head. My son the other day, he's in fifth grade and he's like, well, he like puts his head in his hand. He's like, you think it's, you think my shot at Princeton is over? And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> maybe I need to take you out of private school in New York. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're yeah, 11. Yeah, got too much pressure. Kids it's a lot are too of pressure. much pressure. It is a lot of pressure. That's funny. Well, aside from turning it on its head, you had so much other really amazing advice from tiny actionable steps, like taking three walks a day. And just, it, it was such a great manual for figuring out how to do that first part of your equation better. So Anyway, as you know, it's an awesome book. Speaking of awesome, so your book series, The Books of Awesome, incorporate so many everyday reasons to be happy. Some of my favorites from your book were Bakery Air, Finding a Mixtape from Your Ex, Untangling a Really Big Knot. I'm going to say particularly in a necklace because those like drive me bananas. Yeah, like can picture like the tiny coiled gold chains. Oh my gosh, that's like the bane of just, my existence. Just barely nudges out headphones. Yeah, you have to like push the, oh my gosh. <laughs> and Solving the Wheel of Fortune puzzle. I think Jeopardy, yes. I think calling out Jeopardy answers in a taxi TV is also high on my list. But, oh, oh my, I'm so addicted to those. Yeah, those are, those are good. So I read that you started the whole blog when out of a place of sadness, really, that why don't you tell me how that came about and how it launched this entire enterprise of books of awesome and journals of awesome and everything else. Enterprise, that's funny. Yeah, so I just told you the story about how when Leslie and I got married, she told me she was pregnant on the plane. But if you go back kind of, just over five years before that, actually what happened is my wife, who I was married to, not Leslie, told me she was not in love with me anymore, which was a, a total shock. We had just bought a house. We we're planning to have kids. Oh my gosh. And that happened just a few days before my, my closest friend took his own life. And, and I had known that he had suffered from mental illness. One, one in four of us do. Anxiety rates are increasing. Loneliness rates are increasing. We know all this stuff. But I was just like, I'd love to talk to him on the phone the night before. Oh. And so these two things happen all at once. And I'm suddenly trying to sell my house, trying to process a divorce, trying to write a eulogy. I've lost 40 pounds due to stress. Everybody at work is like, you look great. Because <laughs> that's what we say to people that suddenly look like they lost weight. And I felt terrible. And so one day I got home from work and I went on Google and I literally typed in how to start a blog and clicked the I'm feeling lucky button. And I started a blog called 1000awesomethings.com where I decided for a thousand straight weekdays, I was going to write about bakery air or putting warm underwear on right from the dryer or getting called up to the dinner buffet first at a wedding or flipping to the cold side of the pillow in the middle of the night. And as you know from reading the book of awesome, sometimes it's like one sentence and sometimes it's like, 1,200 words. Mm -hmm. It depends. Old dangerous playground equipment, that's 1,200 words. I got a lot to say about hot slides and like, you know, real dangerous equipment. So I did that every single day for four years. The blog 
you know, won won the. It sounds so crazy, weird to say this, but it won the best blog in the world award wow. at the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences, which I bet you haven't heard of because no one has. But I won this twice in a row. And then when you win something like that, just everyone, then all the literary agents and stuff said, "Oh, well, you you know, it's someone else said you're good, so I guess we should write a book about you." So then the book deals and stuff came, and and that's where you got the book of awesome, the book of even more awesome, the book of holiday awesome, five calendars of awesome, two journals of awesome, and the app of awesome. <laughs> Click here to buy. <laughs> and, and no, you know, imitation gruel like Krusty the Clown. <laughs> Nine out of ten orphans can't tell the difference. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you also wrote a children's book, which oh, my kids love. Awesome is it. everywhere. And literally, so I'm used to, I've gotten used to these books that you have to shake, like press here, whatever. Yeah. Your book, tap, the, tap the magic tree. Tap, exactly, all that stuff. And your book like took that one step forward where you're zooming with your finger as if it's like an iPad, which the kids loved. And then <laughs> like, I was like, I feel like I'm on candid cameras and I had to pick up the book when you said like, dive into the ocean. I'm like, okay, I think we're going like this. And I like, put it over Then my daughter takes the book, she jumps under. Anyway, I love that like even a book you turn on its head and somehow make the experience just like a little more memorable and fun. So how did how did you come up with that? Well, this is so funny you say this because I love how we're jumping all over timeline wise. So we kind of started in like, you know, Neil's kind of gets married again and that's where the happiness showcase comes from. Then we went back five years before where I got divorced and I I lost my close friend and I'm writing on awesome things to cheer myself up. And then flash forward now to when we Leslie and I have our first child. Okay. We now have three boys, by the way, oh. under five years old. Oh my gosh. Okay. As of the time of recording this. So we had our first child and I'm like, oh, little kids, like, you know, my son loves rain. And and like everyone else is like, put on a hat, put on a, on raincoats cover yourself with an umbrella. And he literally, it's one of his favorite things. He loves rain. He loves, he loves feeling it on his face. And I realized as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I haven't felt rain on my face on purpose since I can remember, you know, like it's like been over 30 years since I can remember feeling rain on my face. So why do I tell you that story? Because I was like, we're trying to teach adults how to meditate. Because anxiety is skyrocketing, depression is skyrocketing, loneliness is skyrocketing, suicide rates are skyrocketing. And we're like, hey, everyone, ignore the barrage of, of annoying ads and clickbait that is firing at you from every TV screen in the corner of every elevator all day. And why don't you just close your eyes and do some deep breathing for five minutes? We're trying to teach adults this stuff. Meanwhile, I'm looking at my kid and I'm like, oh my gosh, how obvious, everyone who is a parent knows this, my kid's doing it. They're literally already accomplishing the ultimate Buddhist meditation. <laughs> Standing outside, staring at the sky, letting the rain fall on you and smiling. You did it. <laughs> so the purpose of my children's book, which is called Awesome is Everywhere, is to help teach adults or children who have forgotten how to do this five-minute sort of guided meditation to re-expose their senses to the simple things around you. The reader begins in outer space, as you said. You tap the earth, you therefore turn the page and zoom in. You tap the earth, you zoom in again. It turns out you're going to West Africa. You tap it again, you're going a little deeper. You get all the way down to like sea level. Then you flip the book over your head, you go underwater. So I'm, and I'm saying, hold your breath. And you come back up and I'm like, touch the sand, tap the sand. You go down to the sand on like a microscopic level and then you eventually shake the book and zoom all the way back out. And how did this come about? Well, that's the story of why I wrote it. But more interestingly, maybe kind of for your kind of bookish type audience is like, this is a good, like maybe warning tale for anyone that wants to write a kid's book. I signed that contract that said, Neil will do a kid's book for like, I won't say which publisher, but a big publisher in New York. 
And then they said, okay, we got your kid's book outline done. It's going to be like $6.99. We're going to print it on like, you know, newsprint and it'll have like crossword puzzles and stickers. And I was like, that's what I want to do. They're like, well, that's what we want to do. I'm like, I want like a $22, like full color hardcover. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a huge fight and I ended up breaking the contract. And I actually did the book I wanted to do on my own. And of course, once I had done it, like I, I partnered with an animation studio, we bought our own photographs. We hired someone with like a camera in the Caribbean to take pictures for us. Like literally I did all that work. And then guess what? Then the publishers came back and said, oh, we like that. So we'll buy that. And that's why it's come out from, you know, Penguin Publishing. <laughs> but it's just a war. Like, but all I'm saying is do what you want, you know, otherwise the market will just tell you to make something that's crappy. I feel like that's in part taking your own advice that you have throughout the books, right? Like do what you love, you know, kind yeah. of like a you do you and then see what happens afterwards. The cliche that you'll never regret, you'll never regret doing the right thing, even if it doesn't turn out well, but you might regret doing the wrong thing, even if it does turn out well. Hmm. All right. I'm going to think about that for a little bit. <laughs> you'll have to do on the fact that you did it for the wrong reasons. If I had made a 699 crossword puzzle and sticker filled book that sold a million copies, it would still be gnawing at me mm-hmm. that the kids book I wanted to do never got made. Whereas the fact that I made this book that was the way I wanted to, and by the way, they tell me it's the world's first ever interactive, hyper-realistic book in the world for children, ever. Yeah. And I got to partner with this cool animation studio that works for the Discovery Channel. I got to have fun with it. And did it sell a million copies? No. But I, I can't tell you how happy I am with, with what came out. It's a product that I'm very happy with. So what's that worth? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, I feel like it could be a whole thing. You can zoom into anywhere you want. I mean, you could make many of these, but that's your... <laughs> I don't think you have trouble figuring out new ideas and marketing, so I'll just let that... <laughs> I should think of it. I get asked sometimes to do a sequel, but I feel like ideas are cheap, you know? I had too many things. I, I'm sure everyone's like this, but I'm like... Oh, I want to do this. Oh, I want to do that. I want to. And, but then it's like, which one of those things do you want to spend a year of your life on? Well, that's a much harder question. That's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your podcast, Three Books with Neil Pestrica. And it's so great. You've been entertaining amazing guests and you're trying to cover a thousand books. Is that right? You do three books at a time. Tell yeah. me how you got, came up with this idea and your progress okay. on this My mission. podcast is... My podcast is a good example of me just being crazy. So remember I told you I did that blog called 1000awesomethings.com? Mm-hmm. Well, it got popular, right? Like it, it won some awards, ended up getting like over 50 million hits or whatever. And, and for a long time, I always thought, people were like, what's the secret of success? Where'd you get the good idea? I was like, it's not a good idea. Everyone writes down stuff they like. All I, you know, and they're like, well, why was your blog so popular? And I always thought it was, oh, it's the awesome things. And then I realized later, honestly, Zibi, is that it's actually the thousand. Because it was finite, the last day I wrote my blog, I had 50,000 hits, but I had to stop because I I promised everyone I was only going to do a thousand. When you make something finite, in these days, it becomes more valuable. (laughs) And the reason I believe that is because we live in an era of infinite choice now. So the fact that you could do anything in the world makes us trust the fact that you don't do many things. The fact that you could do anything makes us trust the fact that you don't do many things. That's why we like buying cookies from the guy that just sells cookies in the mall. We don't want to go to the gigantic place that has everything because we don't know if you're really good at cookies. Have you ever gone by, walk by a restaurant where it's like, they have great Caribbean food and Chinese food and American, you're like, well, I don't <laughs> trust that place. I want to go to just the Thai place, totally. you know? So I decided to copy my own model with the podcast. I was like, oh, I did a thousand awesome things. 
let me try to find the world's 1,000 most formative books. How would you go about doing that? Well, there are books actually already printed saying like 1,000 best books to read before you die, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, every time I pick up one of those books in the bookstore, Zibi, I'm like, you know, who the heck are you? Like, <laughs> like, why should I believe your opinion? And so my idea is I've decided to interview 333 of the world's most interesting and inspiring people I can find. I've promised myself that I will publish one new chapter of my show on the exact minute of every single new moon and full moon for 333 straight lunar cycles, <laughs> which takes me all the way up to September 1st, 2031 at 5.52 in the morning, which will be my last full moon. I am literally have it all planned out. And I know because I said I'm crazy. And then, of course, what happens in between each each chapter? Well, that's the two weeks where I get the guests three books. I literally read all three books. I fly to them. So next week, I'm flying to New York to interview Malcolm Gladwell. I fly to them. I, I sit down with them. And then I say, oh, Malcolm, I read The Blind Side by Michael Lewis, which, by the way, spoiler alert, is one of his three books. It's in my head because I just finished reading it. And I say, well, here's what I picked out of this and tell me how it affected your life and why should everybody read it and who would this be good for? And we open it up. But while one day I'll do Malcolm Gladwell, okay, the greatest thought leader alive or whatever, the next day I'll also do the world's greatest Uber driver, a guy with a 4.99 rating and 5,000 rides, who by the way is a fascinating interview. And as always, I did it in person. I, I did it in the back of his Uber. You know, it was a $95 ride, but it was worth, it was worth <laughs> it for the amazing recording. I flew down to Key West and I interviewed Judy Bloom, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this. Judy Bloom, who's 81, runs a bookstore. You did, okay, you knew that because you run a books podcast, but like most people are like, what do you mean she runs a bookstore? I'm like, no, she stands at the cashier, like she stands at the cash register. She's like, can I help you? And you don't even realize like that's Judy Bloom. <laughs> that's the bookseller at Books and Books in Key West, Florida. For anyone listening that's on a cruise ship right now or is driving around Florida, go to Key West, Florida, get Judy Bloom to sell you a book. She will happily do it. And so why am I doing this? Why am I crazy enough to do this? Because I genuinely want to read the thousand most formative books in the world. And I believe there's many problems with the book industry, I believe, but one of the biggest is they print too many books. In English alone, 500,000 new books are published by the big five publishers a year, another 500,000 via self-publishing. And if you do the math, there's over 200 million books available on Amazon. So I'm like you, like your show, like we're always looking for ways to, you know, in an era of infinite choice, trust someone's curated list that we can sign on to. And I don't trust Amazon. Like when I see an algorithm that tells me what to read, I don't trust it because I know they're getting paid to tell me stuff. Okay, I went on like a gigantic rant there, but that's the premise behind my podcast, Three Books. I love that. That's so cool. Now I'm going to be like looking in the back of all the taxis, seeing if like you're going to be popping up, interviewing different taxi drivers, and <laughs> you never know. Never know. I'm looking for interesting people. That's the thing, you know? Like it's not about fame. Right. I sat beside a guy on a plane recently who's a son of, like, he's a gigantic rapper. And I looked him up and he's like, five million followers on Instagram, blah, blah. And like, I made, you know, I traded phone numbers with this guy. He was coming to Toronto. I said, oh, who do you hang out with in Toronto? He's like, I don't know anyone, just Drake. It's like, okay. <laughs> uh, but then I, then I was like, I was like, this guy might be good for my podcast. I was like, oh, do you read books? Are you like a book lover? He's like, nope. And I'm like, 
damn, that guy is not qualified to be on my show. Whereas I met these two Mormon missionaries, they're two teenage boys, they're both 18 years old, away from their family for two years on a Mormon mission. Of course I met them because they like, like that's their job is to knock on people's doors. I start talking to them. I'm like, wow, that's a fascinating point of view. So I interviewed them. That's and guess what their number one most formative book was? The Bible? No, the Book of Mormon. Oh, the Book of Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew nothing about it, so it was a great conversation. I felt like the dumbest person alive asking them about it, but but at least, you know, but it's a good way to learn. And it's a great play. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, oh the like the South Park, uh, the guy is dead. The Book uh, of no, Mormon. It's actually yeah. in Toronto now. I should go see it. I haven't seen it yet. It's worth going to. It's, it's, it's good. You wrote an essay, which I want to like plaster in my, you know, around my office called eight ways to read a lot more books this year, because I feel like people are constantly asking me like, when do you read books? Cause like you, I read about a hundred books last year. I've been reading more and wow. more now that I've been doing the podcast and I've just somehow managed to fit it in. And then it like builds on itself. Like you were saying in your article, it's like the more you read, you more you get hooked on it. So what do you think are some of the, well, first of all, you said today's world is designed for shallow skimming rather than deep diving. And that negatively impacts how you read. So talk to me a little about that. Well, yeah, it's so true. I mean, we are, our most base level, like brain activities are being manipulated by cell phones, social media, the dopamine hits that we get whenever you look at your cell phone and it says, oh, there's 14 unread emails. Oh, three read unread text messages. Oh, seven notifications on Instagram. And and there's a reason why all those apps, by the way, fly in and fly out and are multiple colors is because it mimics. It's not that the people design them are like, you know, like some evil genius petting a cat that says like, oh, we'll just we'll just kind of like torture people with these devices. But literally the way programming and algorithm works is you keep going until people click, right? So the problem is if you look around your own life, this is what, I, what I'm talking to myself, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I have two newspaper subscriptions, which tell me a surface level view of some random stuff every day. I have five magazine subscriptions. Hmm. I'm like, what if I canceled all those? Like I literally all of them and I just read books. Well, then at the end of 10 years, I'll have a bookshelf full of books, full of knowledge that's in my brain, which sure beats a pile of old New York Times. You know, who cares about a fire that happened 20 years ago? I, I mean, it's just, I, I had to sound, I don't mean to sound cynical, but it's more like you could care about it because you will get a dopamine hit and it's really nice to know what's going on, but the chances in the 7 billion person world that something disastrous is going to happen every 10 seconds is very high. So do you want to pay attention to that? Sure, go ahead. But if you decide to change your mind to books, the benefits will far outweigh that. And so once I realized that and I made that big decision, it's a big decision, by the way, I was a news junkie. Like mm -hmm. I was the guy who read, I had two newspaper subscriptions. Like who does that? I have three. Right? I have three yeah, newspapers. Right. <laughs> right, okay. So you're like, you're like a better or worse than I was, okay? <laughs> but like for me, it was like, Okay, I made that decision. Then I'm like, what else can I do? And then I was like, oh, I got addicted. That's that's what formed the article. So yeah, link to the article. I can send it to you, whatever you want. It's on Harvard Business Review. It's like, move your TV to the basement. Move your bookshelf to the front door. Like simple little design stuff like that. Oh, here's one. Tell everyone what you're reading and, and do it in a formal way. So I started a book club, which is really just an email list because everyone's like, you should build an email list. I was like, I don't have anyone. And they're like, well, what do you want to write about? I was like, I don't know. I want to tell people what books I'm reading every mm -hmm. month. Now it's over like something like 30, 35,000 people oh a month, gosh. right? But the reason I tell you that number isn't to say, oh, wow, look at me. It's to say, I have pressure now every month 
to tell 35,000 people which books I read. And so if it's getting close to the end of the month, Zibi, and I have two books read, I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I got to read three books this week. Otherwise, I'm too embarrassed to tell people that I kind of had an off month. So I, I now have applied pressure to myself. And you can do this via, you know. Like, you know, if, if you need some help that. with that pressure, I would be happy to write your mailing list for you with the books that yeah. I'm reading. <laughs> do, do. Why, why don't we have a guest post? or Because or, you also have a, a regular list. I do. Mm-hmm. So why don't we put that? In, I'm happy to put that in there. I'd love to. Awesome. That'd be fun. And actually, in my next book club, my next monthly book club, I can, I can say, I'd love to do this and just say like, because I always try to say, point people at other ones. The only one I really know that does it is, is Ryan Holiday. Mm-hmm. And I guess Bill Gates, if he counts, but he's like Bill Gates, but he like does have a book club and Reese Witherspoon. Okay. I guess there's a few, but I'm like, I'd rather recommend yours. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> if I trust Reese Witherspoon's picks or not, or Oprah's picks. Maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, I have to, I, I feel like I have to defend newspapers here for a minute because- <laughs> Anytime I I don't read them because I I like save them for a couple of days and sometimes I read all like twelve newspapers at once like fast 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 like not read I guess skim is a better word but I think it's you get so much information doing that and then ripping out the things that are valuable and not going online like I think that's another now you're cutting out oh. reading like I've cut oh, out I've cut out news websites like oh. I don't ever go online I stopped all my alerts. Sometimes when I'm really behind on the favorites, I was like, what do you mean? Like, what happened and whatever? And it, like, you know, I, it can be embarrassing because I can be behind, but I still would rather get my news reading than online. Well, this is actually totally related to the point we were talking about earlier about finite over infinite, because I was saying a thousand awesome things is better than unlimited awesome things. I was saying a thousand formative books is better than unlimited endless supply books. You're saying a finite news paper yes, yes. with an end page is better than the unlimited incessant feed yes. of never endingness that comes online. So it, we're saying the same thing. Yeah, that's true. You just came up with a system that works for you and my system had to be like total obliteration. Otherwise I would not read any books. <laughs> I probably don't read anywhere close to as fast as you. Yeah. I've realized I read really quickly, which is helpful, I guess. But I also like the fact that you say that. That I read quickly? Like everyone that, well, it seems like everyone that reads fast, like I probably do too now, is always like, oh no, I don't, I don't really read fast. I'm like, you're like, of course you do. You're reading a hundred books a year. Of course you read fast. Yeah. And you're reading 12 newspapers in a pile. Yeah. (laughs) I guess, I mean, I'm not bragging about it. I didn't, I don't have a value on if it's good or bad. It's just, I I think that's just what, you know. Do you find yourself like choosing to read slow depending on what it is? Like, do you savor anything? Um, some of the more literary novels, I'll go through and it's like sentence by sentence. Some are beautiful and I'll reread them. Or anything I find interesting, I kind of dog ear the page. And then I always go back over it. And if I can remember what I found interesting the first time, <laughs> then it, it's important, right? So, Well, I think that's why I was asking, because I, I interviewed for chapter 15 of three books, I interviewed Mitch Album, who wrote Tuesdays with Maury. And he was telling me that he's 60-something now. He was, And he's got a new book out, The Next Person You Meet in Heaven. And he, I was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do now, Mitch? And he was like, you know what? First you find purpose. Then you find style and then you find beauty. First you find purpose, then you find style, and then you find beauty. And he's like, now it's all about, for me, it's about beauty. I'm trying to put out a beautiful piece of writing. He, one of his books was Gilead, okay? Like, which is, I think, Obama's favorite book or something, right? I've never read it. But, but I like David Mitchell, and David Mitchell to me is like a very literary, literary fiction writer. He wrote Cloud Atlas. And when I'm reading David Mitchell, I gotta tell you, I'm not reading fast. 
I'm reading very slow because his sentences are like they're like magical little hors d'oeuvres. So I purposely slowed myself down to really savor and, you know, the way you would savor a bite of chocolate or something yeah. like that. You know? I, I also do that quickly. <laughs> You really? Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's why I was trying to ask you. That's funny. But that's also why on my podcast, at least I can't do that many literary novels. Like that's why I mix it up. I could never do two literary yeah. novels a week. They take forever. Follow Celeste Ng with Neil Pasricha. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you have an audiobook called How to Get Back Up, which when I first read it, I was like, I thought you were saying how to get back up. Like, how to get support, but you, you meant how to get back up, which I realized once I started listening. But anyway, so... You read so fast. You <laughs> read the two words together. So you released that as an audiobook first. This is right? Yes. And now you're writing it. So tell me about this a little bit too. Yeah. So basically what's happening in the world right now, as you probably know, is everyone's like trying to buy original content. So Netflix started this terrible, maybe positive, I don't know if it's good or bad, uh, thing where like they bought, you know, House of Cards and then no one else has House of Cards. So if you want to watch House of Cards, you have to use Netflix, right? And everyone took everyone a while, but everyone's like, wait a minute, if you just buy your own content and it's good, then you have to come to our platform. Why am I telling you this? Because Audible is in one of these arms races right now as the largest audiobook company. So they're approaching authors like me, luckily, and I think tons of others. Like I think Michael Lewis has an Audible original and Adam Grant has an Audible original and like who doesn't? They're they're just they're they're kind of becoming content hounds, and so I was approached, and and someone said they said like what do you want to write about? And I was like honestly the thing I want to write about is is a memoir. I want to write my life story is like my my family history. They had a my mom you know kind of fled East Africa while a dictator was ruling. You know my dad's from a very poor family. like I I was passionate about it, and they're like cool, write it. So I I did, and it's how to get back up. I purposely paused and that's the memoir. And I got to read it in the sound booth and my dad came down and he was, he's like, Aww. there's a cameos in it. And it was just like, honestly, a lot of fun. And now you say, are you writing it? Okay, here's what happened. So then Simon and Schuster bought the rights to the book after, <laughs> and they were like, we can't sell this. This isn't a book. This is like a memoir. I was like, yeah, but they're like, you're not famous. Like we want to read like Clinton's memoir. Not like Neil Pasricha's. Who's Neil Pasricha? So I was like, well, you know, what about like uh, Mary Carr? She wrote The Liars Club. They're like, well, they're like, well, that's like one in a million. So I'm like, well, what do people want? They're like, they want what you wrote with the happiness equation, like a cogent, a, a sort of coagulated little little package mm-hmm. with thoughts and wisdom and a little mo-. So I totally, completely, forever have changed that book. It is now completely mutant, mutant, what's the word? Morphed? Mutated. Um, in, mutated, thank you, into something totally different. Huh. The new book is coming out on November 5th of this year. It's called You Are Awesome, Nine Secrets to Building Resilience mm. and Living an Intentional Life. I guess the original yogurt culture is that memoir. It has evolved into something wholly different and unique with a totally different structure, a totally totally different framing. And it's a book I'm very proud of and very excited for, but it bears no resemblance to the thing, the audible thing. This is part of what happens in publishing. It's like every time you go through a step, it's like the whole thing changes. The resilience book sounds fantastic, but I would rather read the memoir but not have it be an audiobook. So what do you do for people like that? Like I don't want to listen but I want to read that. Like, do you have a, do you have a copy? I'll, I'll, I'll email you the word. Doc. 
I guess, I guess I was just wondering what Audible was doing in that case. Like Audible should, well, anyway, they obviously they've done a good job. But. Audible should start a print publishing unit. <laughs> Readable. <laughs> Readable, exactly. <laughs> I'll call them next. I know we're almost out of time. Talk to me for two seconds about the Institute for Global Happiness. How awesome is that? <laughs> okay, here's why I started the Institute for Global Happiness. So anyone listening, if you want, by the way, if you want to email me, all my contact, everything's at globalhappiness.org. Okay, so I always tell people, it's just Neil at globalhappiness.org. I always love hearing from people that listen to podcasts. But anyway, turns out that we're not that happy. Okay, let's start with that. Even though we live in the most abundant time ever in human civilization, we live longer than ever, we are healthier than ever, we're more educated than ever, ever. I mean, ever in history and than ever now. But we're not that happy. Loneliness rates have doubled. 40% of us live alone. Anxiety rates now one in three college students have clinical anxiety. One in three, are you kidding me? One in four of us have mental illness. Suicide rates are rising. What's going on? And so I look into the research and I discover that it turns out that the place that we are the unhappiest also happens to be the place that we are spending the most time. This is in, considered in research like a very unsettling fact. Again, I, I, I discovered that the place we are the unhappiest is also the same place that we're spending the most time. And it is work. It's work. For the vast majority of people, it's work. Only 8% of people, according to Gallup, are engaged in their jobs. Okay, so the Institute for Global Happiness is meant to give free resources, free tools, free, like it's all free. I, you don't charge for nothing, anything on there. The only thing we charge for in there is me flying to you to give a speech. And me flying to you to give a speech pays for everything else, right? Because that's expensive, but there's only one of me. But if I fly to you to give a speech and you pay me, that's why the website's free, the resources are free, the articles are free, the mailing list is free, everything's free. We're giving people tools inside companies to help increase happiness in the workplace. That's the entire mission and purpose. So cool. I love it. So any advice to aspiring authors? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much, so many thoughts. The biggest piece of advice I will ever give is also secret number nine from the happiness equation. Because I, I had a bit of a like, when I wrote that book, because the book of awesome was just like, all dangerous playground equipment, warm underwear, cold side of the pillow. Like it was just like stuff. And then happy equation, I'm like, I'm an authoritative figure. I'm like telling you what to do. And I'm like the whole time I'm doing that. I don't know if you could tell my writing style, like I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. So my very last, cause I'm like, who am I to tell you what to do? There's it, the guru model presupposes that you are walking up to a guru for advice. And that's the problem. You actually need to come up with the change for yourself in order for it to be effective. Right, So the guru model is a sabotage of itself. So I decided in the last secret of the happiness equation, which is the advice I'm going to give you now, to make the final secret, don't take advice. <laughs> I found an amazing quote from the 1800s by Charles Varley that says, when we seek advice, we are really seeking an alibi. When you're asking, when your fifth grader is saying, I won't get into Princeton, what he's actually saying is, is it okay if I don't or is it okay if I do? He's seeking to confirm something inside himself that he may or may not already believe. Have you ever asked somebody, oh, where should I live or what should I, where should I work? Like they're going to tell you where they should work or where they should live or at least through their brain and their lens. So you're just hoping that it agrees with the thing inside you. The answers are all inside you. Whether you're a writer, whether you are doing something totally different and you just happen to stumble upon this podcast or you're interested in becoming a writer, forget what anyone else says. And that's really hard because everyone else is going to tell you stuff. 
The market will show you what's on the bestseller list, and you'll think that's the kind of book you need to write. The publishers will have success with one format, and they'll think your book should be that size and that color. You know, after the subtle art of not giving F came out, I bleeped myself there. Um, guess what? Every book was orange, and every book had the F word on the cover for the next year. That is taking advice. Mm. Don't take advice. It's people that puncture the the sort of homogen homogenous nature of everything with their own clear and independent thoughts that will always do better in the long run because at least if it's not successful, you can be happy knowing that you held your integrity and you did what mattered to you. Neil, are you happy? I, I'm like totally happy. I mean, I, I have bad days. I will yell at my kids and I feel like a bad dad. I will get into a fight with my wife. I will hit traffic. But the person I was 10 years ago when I was starting to seek how to find happiness like by writing this little blog, has totally evolved in someone else. Is Am I perfect? No. Is it a practice? Yes. It's like when you're done yoga, and at the very end, they're like, thank you for your practice. They don't say, nice downward dog, you win, you're done. They always say, thank you for your practice. Happiness is a practice. It's something you're always working towards and never quite there. So I feel like I'm well on my way, but I'm sure I have lots and lots to go. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I didn't even say this at the beginning. I totally relate to the title because my wife is a mom who doesn't have time to read books. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Zibby. Okay. Take care. This episode has been brought to you by Boombox Gifts, memory boxes filled with personal messages and photos from friends and family for your next special occasion. Boomboxgifts.com. Thanks to Ryan and Steve at Texture Sound for the audio editing and mixing. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Mm-hmm.